Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. It's the fall of 1988, and you've been waiting for it for months. Weeks and weeks have been spent mowing lawns, doing chores, and anything else you can to earn some money. The work has been hard, but it's all worth it. You make it to Toys R Us, and there, on the shelves, is the game you've been waiting for. It's a game that promises a whole new world of action and adventure. You plunk down your hard-earned money and race home to play it. Being careful not to tear the box, you quickly insert the game into your NES, and up comes some familiar characters in music. But as you begin to play, something seems very different about this game. I'm Jamie Logie, and this is Everything 80s, a podcast looks back on a decade that forever changed the way we dress, consumed, and connected. And today, it's a look back on the follow-up to one of the biggest video games ever. But it's one with a unique backstory and was quite a departure from its predecessor. This is the story of Super Mario Brothers 2. interesting thing about the original Nintendo Entertainment System is that it wasn't exactly built on the back of Super Mario. The first releases of the system were as much focused on the new technology that the NES offered, such as the Light Gun Zapper and the Nintendo Robotic Operating Buddy, or ROB. Some of those first bundle sets didn't even include the original Mario Brothers game. The the top-of-the-line deluxe set with Zapper and Rob came with Duck Hunt and Gyromite, but no Mario Brothers. This was a strategic move by Nintendo to position itself as more of a toy and entertainment system than a video game system, as the video game crash of 1983 had tainted the word video game. But some of the other NES bundles, like the Action Set and the Power Set, did come with this new Mario Brothers game, and people quickly found out how great it was. For many playing on an NES for the first time, Mario was a new character, but he had already been around for a little while. And the character's origins can actually be traced back to an unlikely icon, Popeye the Sailor Man. The Popeye character goes back to the late 1920s, and through comic strips and cartoon shows, became a big part of pop culture. Before the NES, Nintendo created arcade games. They wanted to capitalize on the American market, and one idea was to create an arcade game based on the very popular Popeye characters. These characters include Olive Oil and Bluto, but they couldn't get the rights. Instead of Popeye, Nintendo came up with their own characters. Taking inspiration from King Kong and Beauty and the Beast, 
the game Nintendo came up with featured their version of the brutish Bluto, but in ape form. Olive Oil, who was often rescued by Popeye, became a character named Pauline. According to a Yahoo UK news article, Popeye was still used as the influence for the hero of the game. But instead of Popeye, Nintendo came up with a character in red overalls called Jumpman. This whole collection of characters in game became known as Donkey Kong, and it was a massive success. This led to more arcade games such as Donkey Kong Jr. and Donkey Kong 3. In Donkey Kong 3, there was one notable change. The Jumpman name was dropped and replaced with the name of the landlord of the Nintendo warehouse in America. That man's name? Mario Sagali. This new character, simply called Mario, was also given a brother named Luigi, and the two of them became plumbers. They were also given some more superhuman abilities, such as being able to fall from any height without being injured. In 1983, this led to their own platform-style arcade game called Mario Brothers. But Nintendo was about to make a big splash with their unique new entry to the home video game market, the Nintendo Entertainment System. To experience the Nintendo Entertainment System. With the launch of the NES, Nintendo also developed 17 original games, including one based on the characters many were already familiar with. Some people knew them from Donkey Kong, and also their standalone arcade games, the Mario Brothers. But for many, these were brand new characters. Instead of the single levels in Donkey Kong, the original Mario Brothers game for the NES was side-scrolling and featured different worlds. The design of the game was smart and instantly introduced you to the gameplay. In the first few moments of playing Super Mario, you see question blocks that you can hit to receive prizes like coins and power-up mushrooms, while the brick ones could be smashed to help you maneuver and jump up into higher areas. The game taught you how to play it in the first few moments, as you quickly learned the mechanics and built up the confidence and skills to navigate through this new world. Super Mario Bros. was first released in 1985 in Japan for the family computer or Famicom, this is the device that would become the NES in North America and other countries. The Super Mario game was a massive hit in Japan, and that carried on into North America. After its release in 1986, Super Mario Bros. quickly sold over a million copies. Duck Hunt was great, but Mario Bros. quickly became the flagship game for the NES. As the NES quickly grew, so did sales of Mario Brothers. By 1988, 4 million copies had been sold. By 1989, that went up to over 9 million copies. According to The Guardian, over the next few decades, this number would hit 40 million, making it one of the best-selling video games in history. And also, according to a 2010 Guardian article, Mario quickly became more recognizable to American children 
than Mickey Mouse. Safe to say, Super Mario Bros. was a sensation, and that inevitably meant a follow-up was needed. But how do you follow up such a massive hit? How do you introduce something new while still capitalizing on the elements that made the first game such a success? Do you play it safe by putting out a rehash of the original? Or do you swing for the fences with something completely new? In 1988, kids everywhere were frantic about the follow-up to their favorite game. And when it was finally released, it was definitely a hit, but it seemed a bit different. Actually, a lot different. And it looked and played differently, too. The mechanics of the original game had changed. Jumping and smashing were out, and picking up things and throwing them was in. Some of the levels moved vertically and not horizontally. There were also some new characters. Even Mario and Luigi looked different. And we need to fast forward a bit here to Super Mario Bros. 3, where everything seemed back to normal with a familiar look, gameplay, and characters. So what exactly happened here with Super Mario 2? Why such a departure from the original game? Why did it seem so unfamiliar? Well, there were several reasons. The first thing we have to do is go back in time to Japan in 1986 and to visit their new system called the Family Computer Disk System. This was a step up from the original Famicom. According to the Gaming Historian YouTube channel, the new system that came out in early 1986 was only released in Japan. As the name implies, this system used discs instead of cartridges. Not only were the discs cheaper, they held more data. To drive sales of the new system, the sequel to the original Mario was the perfect way to launch it and create interest. Remember, as big a hit as the original NES Mario Brothers game was in North America, it was just as big, if not bigger, in Japan. But the new focus was on the follow-up game. So, in just four months, the new Super Mario Brothers 2 was ready for the disc system. And it looked just like the original game. But there was one big difference. This game was quite a lot harder than the original. In Japan, there were complaints about this, as the game seemed so hard to the point of being cruel. But the game was still an enormous success. This was the Mario sequel, after all. Naturally, the game was destined to be released in North America. And eventually, the new Super Mario Bros. 2 game made it to North America. But the testing phase revealed how tough this game was to play. A game needs to be challenging, but if a kid can't make it very far before being taken out by a poison mushroom, it may not lead to long-lasting playability. And worst of all, if a game is way too hard, it just isn't fun, and it gets taken out and swapped over for a more fun game. This is still the early days of the video game rebound after the crash of 1983. Nintendo may not want to put out something that might turn people away, especially young kids 
whom they hoped to have as customers for years. And there was another marketing issue. Once released in North America and then in other countries, the new Mario game would surely be on birthday and Christmas wish lists everywhere, along with kids screaming for it in a Toys R Us. Parents who had already shelled out a lot of money for an NES might not be so keen to buy a new game that looked exactly like the one their kids already had. Because of all these factors, it just didn't look like a smart move to release this version of the Mario Brothers sequel. So now what? A lot of time and money had been spent creating Super Mario Brothers 2. Did this mean starting over from scratch? Well, fortunately for Nintendo, it turns out that they had the perfect solution just sitting under their noses. The original iteration of Super Mario Bros. 2 was scrapped, and it was time to hit the restart button to make sure to strike while the iron was hot and Mario was super popular. But just creating a new game was obviously a massive issue, as the development team already had their hands full. But this is where another Japanese game enters the picture, a game called Doki Doki Panic. Everything 80s will return after these messages. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Doki Doki Panic was developed at first as a platform game that moved vertically. As you jumped higher up the screen, the background would shift upward with you. The characters could also stack items on top of each other, allowing you to jump up higher. This was completely different from the side-scrolling, horizontal style of the original Mario Brothers. This game started out as a prototype, and the style of gameplay really pushed the limits of technology. Not to mention, it was full of colorful backgrounds and characters. Nintendo liked to push the limits. According to a 2011 Wired article, this was the company's approach. They didn't always start with characters and worlds but ensured that the game boasts a fun and compelling game mechanic. Even though this new prototype was an interesting and innovative style of game, it was shelved. And that brings us to a unique partner, the Fuji Television Company. Fuji wanted Nintendo to come up with a game for an upcoming festival called the Dream Factory, which they used to promote their new TV shows. That festival is set to be held in the summer of 1987, 
Partnering with the massive Nintendo company was a great way for Fuji to promote its events and shows. Fuji even knew what characters they wanted and gave Nintendo the characters that Fuji was using as mascots for that event. Those characters were known as the Dream Factory family. Fuji wanted a new game, but again, just coming up with a game quickly doesn't just happen. Fortunately, Nintendo had the perfect game to use these new characters in and dug up that vertical scrolling prototype. But Mario was still a massively popular character and game. To capitalize on the popularity of Mario and to make the project for Fuji Television seem more familiar, Nintendo made the game more Mario-like. One of the first additions to the prototype was the inclusion of some horizontal levels. In that original prototype, players picked up objects to throw and that would continue on in this new version. Also added were some references to the Mario game everyone already knew, such as coins and warp zones. In July of 1987, Doki Doki Panic was no longer a prototype and was officially released for the family computer disk system. The game features the four Dream Factory characters in a premise where they have to dive into a storybook to rescue two kids who were pulled into the book by a mysterious green hand. In the game, the characters can pick up fruit, bombs, eggs, and magic lamps among other objects to throw and take out their adversaries. You can even jump on enemies to pick them up and throw them. The lamps, however, reveal a door, and those can take you to another world. The game also takes place over multiple lands, such as deserts. And each of the four characters in the game had their own unique set of skills, and we'll get back to that in a bit. Just like the original Mario, the game features coins, and at the end of each level is a slot machine game to earn extra lives something you probably remember from Super Mario Bros. 3. In Doki Doki Panic, there was yet another unique feature, the ability to save progress. So, the new game from Nintendo was a pretty big hit. But Nintendo of America still had a new Mario Bros. game to release. Maybe this new Doki Doki Panic game that was a hit in Japan had some extra life in it. Even though Fuji Television owned the characters in the game, fortunately, Nintendo owned all the designs, levels, graphics, music, and gameplay. And that's what Super Mario Bros. 2 is. The game Doki Doki Panic with Mario characters swapped in. But Doki Doki Panic had four characters, and we only had Mario and Luigi. Who would the other characters be? Enter Princess Toadstool, or Princess Peach, depending on how you first encountered the character. And next was my go-to choice in Mario Kart, Toad. Now, Nintendo of America was way ahead of the game, as they pretty much had a video game ready to go. The character traits of the Doki Doki Panic characters were adopted by the Mario characters. These are character traits we're familiar with to this day. 
Toad was one of the fastest and strongest, but not a great jumper. Princess Toadstool could jump and float through the air. Mario is the most balanced character with average speed, strength, and jumping ability, while Luigi is the highest jumper. In Super Mario 2, Mario and Luigi also had a design change as Luigi became the taller of the two. But some of the unique side characters created for Doki Doki Panic remained. Some of those include the masked Shy Guys, the cactus-like Pokies, and Birdo, who launched eggs out of its mouth. We also meet the Bob-Oms. Even though a majority of the work was already done, there were still a few issues. According to Wired, it was discovered that when the characters shrunk down, they were actually too small and could go through parts of the levels that weren't designed for that. The solution was to make their heads bigger when they shrunk so they would get caught on things. And unlike in Doki Doki Panic, the Super Mario 2 characters could run. Another big change was the opening animation from Doki Doki Panic when the two kids are pulled into the book. In Super Mario Bros. 2, this is replaced by a simple screen of text, explaining that when Mario opened a door after climbing a long stair in his dream, another world spread before him, and he heard a voice call for help to be freed from a spell. Then, after awakening, Mario went to a cave nearby where, to his surprise, he saw exactly what he saw in his dream. Also, unbeknownst to us, the save feature used in the disc version in Japan was abandoned for the North American cartridge. But this worked out, as in Doki Doki Panic, you had to beat the game with all four characters. This wasn't the case in Super Mario 2. Super Mario Bros. 2 was ready for its North American launch, and the release of the new game coincided perfectly with another new offering Nintendo had released into our grubby little hands. From beyond imagination, Nintendo proudly launches the official magazine of video mastery, Nintendo Power, full of maps, contests, game reviews, and score-blasting high adventure. The very first issue of the new Nintendo Power magazine featured Super Mario Bros. 2 on the cover. I have a previous episode all about Nintendo Power, but with this magazine, Nintendo now had a direct way into people's homes and a perfect way to promote and advertise new games. And they started it all with Super Mario Bros. 2. The cover of that first issue featured claymation versions of the Mario characters. That cover was created by Will Vinton, the claymation artist behind another huge part of the 80s, some characters I have a previous episode all about. The California Raisins. The first issue of Nintendo Power was released in the summer of 1988, leading perfectly to the fall release of Super Mario 2. Hundreds of thousands of free copies of Nintendo Power were given out to people who were already part of the Nintendo Fun Club, and millions of other copies were also published. That first issue of Nintendo Power included some info, secrets, character traits, and maps of the game that was about to launch. And speaking for myself, boy was I ready 
for Super Mario Brothers 2. Super Mario is back. He's blasting worlds where no one has ever been. He's taking on enemies no one else dares. This time Mario pops up power wherever he goes. So he's bigger and badder than ever before. You've never seen creatures like these. You've never had an adventure like this. It's everything you've dreamed of and worlds more. It's Super Mario 2. So, I don't know if your experience was the same, but when I first played Super Mario 2, I couldn't ignore that it was an obvious departure from the original. But I think a lot of people felt like this. The characters were there, as was the familiar music, but it seemed so unusual. The background, landscapes, and gameplay felt like a night and day difference. It was great, but just didn't feel like Mario. Also, Bowser was gone, and a new enemy took his place, a character taken right from Doki Doki Panic, the evil wart. But regardless, this was the brand new Mario game, and millions of copies quickly sold. But the release was back in 1988, and copies could be tough to track down then, as this was the year that there was a shortage of computer memory chips. A March 1988 New York Times article revealed that customers were clamoring for supplies, and the prices for memory chips had doubled and even tripled. Super Mario 2 obviously made it to shelves, but inventory was lower than planned. Even a 2020 news segment entitled Nuts for Nintendo talked about the huge demand for the game. People were driving hundreds and even a thousand miles trying to track down the new Super Mario Brothers. So to please the kids, they line up at the few stores that have been able to get copies of the hottest Nintendo games, Mario 2 and The Adventure of Link. According to NintendoFandom.com, despite the inventory issues, eventually 7.41 million copies of Super Mario Brothers 2 sold. It's interesting to think how many more copies may have sold if it wasn't for the chip shortage of 1988. Both Super Mario 2 and the NES were still a huge part of the holidays of 88. A December 1988 New York Times article states that the NES was the best-selling toy for the Christmas of 1987 and then throughout 1988. Just a few years in, Nintendo was predicted to be in 20% of all American homes. The success of Super Mario 2 and the NES in general continued to elevate the company. According to that December 88 New York Times article, sales in 1987 were around the $750 million mark. In 1988, sales were projected to hit $1.7 billion. In today's money, that's around $4.5 billion. ABC News reported that Nintendo had quickly generated three times the revenue as the American institution, Barbie. Nintendo now controlled 83% of the market share. It looks like Super Mario 2 came along at the right time, as the system and game helped push each other to even further heights. Super Mario Bros. 2 was a great game, but if you grew up then and got to play this thing, there was no denying what a departure it was from the original. 
As a young kid in 1988, I had no idea it was taken from a pre-existing Japanese game. And I don't think many people knew that either. We didn't even know that a Super Mario 2 game had been developed years earlier. But the difficulty in gameplay prevented it from being released in North America. It wasn't until a few years later that some of this started to be revealed. And one of those reveals was through a video game. If you ever played Super Mario All-Stars for the Super Nintendo, you may remember that it contained the original Super Mario, Mario 2, and Mario 3. But then there was something unique. Super Mario Bros. The Lost Levels. What was this thing? It looked like the original Mario, but it was way harder. For many, this was our first introduction to what Super Mario 2 originally was. At the time, I didn't know any of this. I didn't know there was an original version and why our Super Mario 2 was so different. But over the coming years, we found out why. And on a side note, you may want to have a look around your basement or closet because in 2021, CNN reported that a sealed Super Mario 2 game found in the back of a closet in Indiana sold for more than $88,000. Super Mario 2 came out during a unique time for Nintendo. This was still the early days of the company's presence in North America, and the game was going to be a risk either way. The original and harder version may have been a dud over here, but the company went out on a limb and released a game that looked nothing like the predecessor. It's definitely not my favorite Mario game, but it was definitely a success, especially when you consider the memory chip shortage back then. Super Mario 2 is also a success because it wasn't part of an NES bundle like the original Mario. Super Mario 2 was a standalone game. For those that didn't like the direction Super Mario 2 took, luckily Super Mario 3 would be that return to form we all wanted. But Super Mario 2 still holds a unique place in video game history. It introduced us to new characters that became part of the Super Mario universe. It had an impact on game design and influenced future developers of future Mario games. And it allowed them to introduce more variations within the games. Super Mario 2 introduced puzzle solving into the Mario universe and it introduced us to playable characters that all had distinct abilities. Super Mario 2 also ushered in a new era of how Nintendo promoted video games through the Nintendo Power magazine. Despite how different it was, Super Mario Bros. 2 remains a key part of Nintendo's history and a huge part of the 1980s. So that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. And if you're listening to this episode around its release time, it's been almost exactly 35 years since Super Mario 2 first hit our shelves. If you're looking for more 80s video game related content, here are some previous episodes of mine for further listening. Besides my episodes on the history of the NES and Nintendo Power Magazine, I also have a show about a topic that was half TV show, half video game. 
Captain Power, and the Soldiers of the Future. But besides those, there are plenty of previous episodes for you to dive back into. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the Everything 80s podcast wherever you listen to podcasts so we can take these trips back in time together. If you're interested in bonus audio content, you can check out patreon.com. That's the platform to get access to things like the Everything 80s Movie Review Podcast. If you want to learn more, you can just head on over to patreon.com slash 80s. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash 80s. So thank you again for being here with me today and taking the time to listen to this episode. I know there are so many podcasts out there, so it's never lost to me that you've decided to check this one out. So that's it for me. I'm Jamie. This has been Everything 80s, but I'll be back soon with a new episode. Don't you dare miss it. <laughs>